Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast, hosted by Brian Bisking. Brian started this weekly podcast to give a voice to leaders of our community, to share their story, their journey, and the lessons that they have learned along the way. Brian grew up in a small town outside of St. Louis, where he watched his father run a small business and was always interested in how the leaders in his community got where they are. Whether it's a local business leader, a philanthropist, or a celebrity, these are your STL leaders. Join us today, where we will chat with another pillar of our community on this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. And now, your host, Brian Bisking. Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. On this week's episode, we have Mark Braun, past president at Cambridge Air Solutions. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to thank my sponsors. First, NWO IT Services, Synchrony HR, Go Brand Go, Enterprise Bank and Trust, and the Tom James Company. And now to this week's episode with Mark Braun. Mark Braun, welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast. I appreciate you coming on today. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Well, I um, I found you on LinkedIn. Uh, I had actually knew about Cambridge Air Solutions for quite some time. Uh, you and I had never had the chance of actually physically meeting, but uh, knew some of your colleagues while you were there. Yeah, um, always good folks over there. Yeah, absolutely. It was always fascinating, kind of the leadership and the way things were ran over there. And so I, I saw that you had kind of uh, your term as president had kind of come to end and you transitioned into a new role. And so I'm excited to dive in today, kind of talking about your time at Cambridge and, and now what you're doing um, and just really learning from you on your views on leadership and, and running an organization. So um, I appreciate it, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of start there. Talk to us about growing up. Uh, where you grew up, and then what the path to Cambridge was for you, because I know that wasn't the first time being a president of an organization. Well, I appreciate it. So um, yeah, a little bit of the pathway. So I grew up, uh, was born in St. Louis, grew up south of here about an hour in Farmington. And so the question that always gets asked of what high school, it was Farmington High School. And my dad uh, and mom moved to the a farm of about 100 acres when I was two years old. And so I remember my early childhood of just uh, an ever expansive, beautiful, large world, which was a 100 acre farm. And uh, I think I, when I was reflecting on this question, you know, my, the lessons that I learned early on uh, from my dad and from my mom was that, you know, the, the possibilities were uh, limitless. The world uh, was very large. Even whenever I was small, I remember feeling that way. And my dad uh, played a, his, I guess you could categorize him as a serial entrepreneur and always knew that opportunities were beyond, you could, you could always create your own opportunities. And so that, that uh, colored a lot of my early childhood. I think the other piece, uh, just a funny one was that uh, he wanted to be a philanthropist, but we didn't have any money. <laughs> and so trying to, that's, that's kind of how, um, that sums up how, how miraculous it's going to have to be to navigate this world. Uh, you know, you can be a philanthropist and not have any money. Um, so 
I think the pathway uh, background in chemical engineering studied hard in, in school and, and loved learning. Uh, the, the reason that I studied hard is just to, I had a passion to learn. And so um, whenever I looked up the degrees, I just said, which one's the hardest one? What's the most complex problems? And chemical engineering was what I chose. Um, after graduating, went down to Dow Chemical, large publicly, publicly held company for in, in operations. And then um, found out really early that, that uh, I was actually 23 years old, that, uh, that, that I had to figure out how to um, have a genuine interest in other people rather than just in the problems themselves to actually navigate the world. And so um, learned that at age 23 from a gentleman, Herb Michael, who said, you know, you're really smart, Mark, but if you think you're smart, that's not going to get you anywhere. And so figure out how to um, learn from others and, and help them solve their problems and you can go anywhere in this world. And so that was, that was kind of the start of the, the not just being self-absorbed and selfish, but uh, thinking about others and thinking about how do I help others. And so from a union environment there uh, to a publicly held Coke, uh, which is the Coke brothers and the oil and gas world. Uh, and, and moved into sales and marketing, went back for business and um, just fell in love with people leadership. And um, the, the roles from there uh, led to Cambridge 13 years ago. And so that's a little bit of, of background yeah. coming up through the, the ranks, uh, operations and then sales and then, and then having both sides as the president of Cambridge. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about Cambridge uh, and your time there. You know, I have a couple of questions in regards to that. You know, I, I thankfully had the opportunity to uh, be introduced to Cambridge through Ke Kevin Thompson, who I hadn't met somehow through networking. I don't even exactly remember who introduced us to each other and had the opportunity to actually come to one of your guys's uh, morning staff meetings. And I got some insight into the leadership that was being led at Cambridge, as well as the importance of company culture. So the next kind of qu two questions kind of go hand in hand. But talk to us about your time leading Cambridge, the importance of company culture, and then really what your guys' philosophy was on the open book management. That's a lot. Um, yep. I'll try to do them one at a time. Um, so first of all, my time, the 13 years that I served, uh, the 160 families there at Cambridge was the sweetest time of my career. And, uh, and so it's, a, it's such a precious place. Um, I think the tone set by the owner, John Kramer, chairman and CEO, there and a good friend of mine before I entered is, um, you know, he, he has this beautiful grand vision of what business could be uh, a force for good in the world. And then uh, he has the humility to know that he's not going to be able to build that on his own. So when he sat down with me and asked me to join him, um, you know, he said, he said these words, he said, I don't hire friends and you're a friend. So uh, I don't know how we're going to work that out. Um, but he described what he was trying to accomplish, build a growth-based business and hold on to these beautiful family values. And what I knew um, from his comments and also just from him is that there was no way he was going to do it on his own. Um, he knew that, I knew that. And so I think that's uh, a critical element of what we were able to do together, um, together with so many people there was build a culture that's Right now, it's, it's one of my favorite places to bring friends, family, business clients from around the world to see what it can look like if you can build a culture of courage where every single person is engaged every single day in um, furthering the business, but furthering themselves and making the world a better place. 
And so it, it was a, it was a sweet 13 years. Um, I think you, you asked a question of what's the most importance of company culture. And I, I think I share a little bit of that in the story of how John invited me in, but I kept on inviting others in and we kept on inviting other leaders. And um, it's amazing. Uh, by the time I left, which is, uh, you know, basically uh, my last day as president was July 21st. And as I stepped down and um, he selected the next president, there were three executives who had been attracted in by the same kind of vision and the same kind of complete knowledge that we weren't going to be able to build this on our own. And all three of the people, the direct reports of mine, uh, were all able and capable of stepping into the role of president. And so that's what you get if you have a culture where everybody is growing, everybody is stepping out courageously and, and growing their own leadership. Uh, you get choices, you get options. You, um, you know, he got to, to, to be in a, a tough spot of, of a, a leader leaving, but also a beautiful spot where, where he had plenty of people ready to step in and lead. Um, my favorite word for that is organizational health. It comes from Patrick Lencioni's book, um, The Advantage. And um, when you have organizational health and everybody's rowing in the same direction, it is a beautiful thing to witness. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you, so you stepped down as president. What it, Somebody had told me, and I don't know if there's truth to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway, is, is the philosophy at Cambridge that the president only serves a certain term um, and then it's time for a change? Is that part of the philosophy? It's, it's part of my philosophy. Um, okay. And, it, you know, the the rotation. I, I was shocked when you stepped down and I asked somebody, I said, well, why, why did he step down? And they, somebody told me that, that you, that you, I guess that's your philosophy. It is my philosophy. You know, so when I enter a role, whether it was chemical engineer over production at Dow or director of technical advisors at Coke, um, or, you know, I actually entered as the chief operating officer at, at Cambridge, you know, the, my goal is how, how quickly can I get the team up and running to the point where they can do the role that I'm in? And uh, it, it puts all of the focus on how do we, um, do, we, do we encourage, how do we encourage growth of those that are in the organization and attract those that are not to where uh, we are replaceable? I think, I think the, the key is um, you have to be able to be replaced in a healthy system. I could have gotten hit by a bus or I could have stepped down as president. Either one of those could have happened. And the business needs to not only survive, but thrive afterwards. And so every role that I take on, I'm constantly asking the question, who is ready to take this role on? Um, I, I actually view it as a, a gap in my leadership that I had three people ready for my role when I stepped down, um, because um, it means that I stepped down too late. Hmm. Um, ideally, you get to the point where you have one person ready, everybody's trying, and that one person elevates into the next role and you go on to the next role. Um, and so literally we had one ready, you know, seven years ago, John and I had one person ready to take on the role seven years ago, uh, two people ready three years ago. You know, it's the, the, if you have three people, if your whole team is capable of taking on your role, you've probably waited too long to move to the next role. Yeah. Interesting philosophy. Let me ask you about the, the leadership on the, on the open book management. Um, you know, you guys had, you know, when I was in there, there was TVs with, um, with your, 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 uh, profit and loss and, and everything on there. Talk to me about your, your leadership style when it comes to that. Yeah. So, you know, I think, um, 
I have for all 27 years of leadership always believed that the problems that we face together have to be on the table so that we can address them. And I don't, what, what I, um, I find is that many places have half the problems, the big ones that are under the table and half of them that are on. And um, people are yelling at people to solve the ones that are on the table, but the real problems are the ones that are not exposed. And so, you know, whether you call it open book management or transparent leadership, or the fact that if everybody in the organization is, is, is supposed to feel a sense of ownership of accomplishing and a sense of ownership of solving the real problems, they have to be on the table. And so um, I think that in privately held companies, uh, closely privately held or family businesses, uh, you know, that transition is, is not fast. And so, you know, there's two sides of it. Basically, you're trying to get everybody comfortable with opening more and more of the problems on the, putting more and more of them on the table. And you can only solve the ones that are on the table. Uh, at, at, eight, at 13 years in, we had all of the problems on the table, including quality, safety, uh, delivery issues, uh, customer complaints, uh, profit challenges, cash flow issues, you know, any problem, there wasn't anyone that wasn't on the table. And that's, um, I think for me, my growth was I have to be patient enough to allow the system to grow and uh, because the, the system has to grow in health to be able to put them, put them on the table. Sure. You can't expose all of them or else it'll crush the system. Right. And so you got to walk, um, walk patiently through that opening up. So we didn't open up profits year one. It was actually year, uh, about year eight that we opened up profits to the organization. Gotcha. Gotcha. Talk to me about last year, 2020 and into, into 2021, um, how COVID impacted you, you know, the business there, whether it's from, uh, when I say that, I, I'm meaning it in two parts, one from a, from a financial aspect, how did it impact the business? But two, how were you guys able to, I mean, you guys a, a big warehouse out there, obviously, how, how are you able to keep employees safe? What was your, what was your strategy on being able to continue to work, but also keep everybody safe? Yeah. Well, I step back one, one moment. I'm 47. And uh, for some reason, I've experienced enough challenge in my life and enough uh, cha- times whenever trauma hits uh, that I, I have started to recognize earlier and earlier that this is going to be a good thing for growth of me and for those around me rather than a bad thing. And so I think that um, when COVID hit, um, it was, you know, it was, it was the, the largest uh, challenge that uh, we had faced, but it wasn't the first challenge that we had faced as a group. Um, you know, the flood of 93 comes to mind, the, um, the, the crash of 2008, whenever we lost 90% of our core market comes to mind, the, um, you know, the losses of employees and, you know, just there's lots of challenges that have happened. Sure. And so going into the challenge, knowing that um, we have an opportunity to not only uh, survive this thing, but thrive through it and grow and innovate is, was the perspective of actually John, myself, and all of the executives, because they've all are seasoned executives. So um, knowing that we had to get pretty clear quickly on what we could control versus what we couldn't. And we know that in this particular one, there was lots of things we couldn't control. But what we could control is setting our own targets. Um, And so our targets uh, about a week and a half in were these three things, to keep everyone safe inside the facility, uh, to have zero transmission of COVID between people in their job, 
uh, at Cambridge, meaning we didn't want anybody to get any any um, thing that could hurt that or harm them inside of, of Cambridge. And then we said, while we meet all client demands. So the while or the and was critical to that goal. We needed to meet all client demands and keep everybody from getting hurt by their job at Cambridge, which is cross-contamination or transmission of COVID. The second thing we said was we needed to, uh, to solidify our cash position as strongly as possible um, so that we would have as much, uh, as much time, uh, at, as much runway before impacting payroll. And yeah. so payroll is our last uh, last item that we uh, want to use to conserve cash. And the organization knows that. And so we have to conserve all of our discretionary cash so that we can have as long of a runway before we get to payroll. And I'm you know, really proud to say that we were able to not touch payroll except for the executive team. And so you know, that was a decision to go first and say, if we, got, if, if we can conserve some cash, let's do it. Um, but we didn't want to get to payroll of the organization or layoffs or any of those, those pieces. The third thing was that we need to grow and innovate through this. And so we wanted to hear ideas from anywhere and anyone on how we would uh, learn and get stronger through this instead of get weaker. Because those are the only two options when trauma hits, you either get weaker or stronger. Right. And we knew we wanted to get stronger. And so how do we innovate and grow through this? So those are the three targets. Um, I can tell you that uh, the team just did a freaking amazing job. We had a cross-functional team leading those three and, um, and everybody you know, looking back, feels like we did a uh, yeoman's work in navigating COVID. It is hard. It, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not done. It's, and it's really hard. It's yeah. a hard thing to lead through, absolutely. but that's what we had. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And what I like, what I love about that is like to what your last point was there is you either learn from it or you get weaker from it. Um, and I think a lot of businesses, I know I had Bob Alvarez on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about the same thing over at Shapiro Metals on, you know, you have to learn from what had happened in being able to transition um, into a better direction. Uh, otherwise, you, you know, it was all for nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, th- I, I love how you answered that. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about you and what you're doing now. Um, talk to me about what you're doing since the transition. For those who don't know, I, I know from my research on you, but tell us what you're doing now and kind of what, where you're going from here. Yeah, before we go to next, I just want to encourage um, everyone who's listening. Uh, first of all, I love the St. Louis community. It's just this beautiful, beautiful community. And many have visited Cambridge. About 5,000 people a year go to see Cambridge's culture. And um, I want to invite them to do that. It's still my favorite example. Um, I've got lots of good examples, but it's my favorite one because it's near and dear to my heart for people to actually see that and experience what it feels like. And so it's a very simple invite. They can go on to tours.cambridgeair.com and sign up for a tour. They'll be, um, they'll be able to take a, about half an hour and go see the morning meeting and see how that culture is today. And so I would encourage uh, your, your listeners to do that. And I would love to see St. Louis grow in strength. And I just, I love pouring back in and I love doing that myself, going and seeing other businesses. And so want to want to just leave that before we close that chapter. So next, next for me. Um, so um, what I, I'm actually coaching and encouraging leaders to, to lead with courage and build that kind of culture. I, I want to take those experiences over the last 27 years 
and be able to help as many and encourage as many people to be the, the best CEOs that they can. So uh, coaching has been such a critical part of my leadership growth. I have had coaches all of my professional career, but I have paid coaches for 20 years to pour in and to help me grow. And um, the businesses that I've been working with and in have uh, afforded me that luxury, but I would have paid for it out of my personal pocket because of the value that it brought to my life and how it got me unstuck when I was stuck and uh, encouraged me to keep on doing the work, the, the deep work that I needed to work. So I've opened up six coaching slots and, and uh, for CEOs that are wanting that kind of work. And so if people are, people are listening to this or interested in that, where can they find you at? Yeah, they can find me at um, markdbraun.com. Uh, so M-A-R-C, D as in David, braun.com. Uh, I've thrown up a little URL and a little bit of, of uh, the exposure to what my background is and another, but they can connect with me there uh, or they can email me at coaching at markdbraun.com if they'd like to talk about whatever they're dealing with and uh, if it'd be a good fit. If I'm not a good coach for them, I can definitely point them in the right direction uh, and get them connected into the broader group. The other piece that I'm doing with uh, a portion of my time, I've been serving on the board of the Association for Manufacturing Excellence. It's about 4,000 manufacturers around the the world, and um, they are all trying to build uh, cultures where they've got operational excellence in them and people-centric leadership. And so I've been serving on the board for about five years. Uh, My chairmanship is starting October 1st, so I'm vice chair right now. And um, I, I love that community. There's, there's a broad community of people who are lifting each other up and encouraging each other and showing best practices. It's what Cambridge is part of. Uh, and, um, and the St. Louis community, just because this is such a tight audience for you, um, there's 22 manufacturers that are in the, that are meeting regularly and routinely to lift each other up and to carry the heavy load of leadership. Um, and those are company to company exposures. So basically building relationships between all leaders at all levels. So HR to HR, operations to operations, supply chain to supply chain, CEO to CEO, and um, so I'm pouring in a voluntary basis in that world. And then I'm, I'm getting a chance to write and, and some, a little bit more chance to speak, uh, which I, I love doing just as part of the way I encourage uh, leaders. I'd like to encourage a million leaders uh, in the next three years to take that kind of step. And uh, that's going to take a lot of people working together to do it. And AME is a, a critical factor of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now for a quick break, we bring in our sponsor, Enterprise Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Enterprise Bank and Trust knows that every business and every person is unique. That's why they get to know you in a way that the large financial institutions don't. They are our banking partner here at the STL Leaders, and I highly recommend that you check them out. To learn more, visit enterprisebank.com. And now, back to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. So let me ask you this. Um, When you look back on your career... Um, has your leadership style changed or grown over the years? And if so, what do you attribute that to? Yeah, I think the, um, the biggest shift has been from self-reliance to reliance on others and reliance on, on God. I mean, on, and faith on a higher power of some kind. Um, you know, I, I remember, you know, I, I learned the lessons over and over and over and over that, um, 
I do not need to have all the answers. And, um, you know, I, I thought that at 23 and I can think that as most recently as yesterday, as I go into the entrepreneurial world and, and launch a business. And so I need really, really wise people surrounding me, helping me to remember that I do not have to have all the answers. Um, I need to figure out the who, who can do this instead of what do I need to do? And um, that's been a, a lifetime's journey. And it certainly has changed my leadership uh, through that, through the period of time for 27 years. Absolutely. You mentioned faith and God in there. I know that's a big part of Cambridge's culture. To talk to me about your faith. How has that played a part in your leadership? So, you know, the part, this is obviously a touchy subject on the business front and in the world. And um, I was actually attracted. So one of the things that attracted me into Cambridge was John, the Kramer, has this beautiful faith in a loving God, and he was willing to talk about it. And um, I was sitting there um, trying to talk business strategy and execution strategy, and I didn't have any way to talk openly about faith in, in God. And so I wanted to see what that looks like up close. And um, it was a gift to be able to see and be mentored under him from a faith perspective. What, what we did at Cambridge was we were able to get that on the table as well, which um, so if you look at the why Cambridge exists, it exists to glorify God by enriching the quality of every life we touch. And the we is Cambridge. Um, and, you know, the idea that, um, you could actually have a place where you could speak about faith, um, not have the same faith, everybody at Cambridge, you know, some people believe no God, some people believe in a God, some people believe in the same God, whatever, all kinds of different spiritual, um, realities for people. And if you could make a safe enough place where you could actually have conversations about that, um, what a world we could live in. And so what I have had to do in my own journey of learning how to rely on something that I can't see, uh, I can't know for sure, and I have to believe in before I get proof of is this mystery that I, um, I, 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 um, I love pursuing and learning about. And so... This, that, I guess the point that I'll make is that Cambridge is a beautiful space where you can have different faiths and different understandings, and you can have a conversation. And I love most that um, one of our, my favorite people there is an atheist, and he shares that it's a safe space for him. And so when we talk about inclusivity and uh, diversity, um, how do we make safe spaces where you can be 19 years old and mad at God or 50 years old and think that you know God exactly, and it can be okay. Um, and you can work on the same team towards a common goal with purpose and passion. That's where my heart is at. I want, I want, uh, I want businesses. I want communities. I want uh, places where that's okay. Because I know that I've needed those places in my walk uh, to learn faith and to grow in leadership. And I want those for some, for so many other people. Absolutely. You know, <clears throat> Mark, I always end this podcast by asking my guests the uh, same question, which is if we could, you could leave us with one piece of advice today, whether that's about business, whether that's about life in general, what would that be? So I thought about this. I, I actually would give you two of them. One is to develop a daily habit 
of gratitude in your own life and sharing that gratitude with others. So on a daily basis, I write and journal gratitude and share that with others. And I get to read other people's gratitudes. And it's the most uh, impactful thing I've ever, most impactful habit I've ever developed as a leader. And the second is that I would love for you to to commit to uh, becoming the CEO of your own life and your own leadership. Um, And when I say CEO, I would love for you to, to, to develop into courageously encouraging others. I want, I want you to know uh, individually, I want to be able to have this in my own life is I want to be able to courageously encourage others and what a beautiful life that is. And so I, I want that life for everybody. I want that for the people who have the who have been gifted the opportunity to be the CEO of a company, but I want that for the frontline folks who are working uh, on a daily basis. Uh, and um, there's so many people that come to mind, but Justin at Cambridge, if you ever go in there, you know he is courageously encouraging others, and I get so encouraged by his leadership, and he's uh, right now, you know, in in the front lines of Cambridge. And I want you to know that you can have that impact on others. Um, so I think those are the two practice gratitude and encourage others. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. Mark, on behalf of myself and the STL leaders podcast, I appreciate you coming on today and sharing your wisdom at your time at Cambridge and now what's on the horizon for you. Um, I wish you nothing but the sex and thank you for being a great STL leader. Thank you, Brian. It's great to meet you and uh, look forward to seeing you in person.